The Lord calls us to worship with selections this morning from Psalm 99 and Exodus chapter 15. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Father in heaven, we have gathered together today as your people to worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, whom you call in your word, Holy, Holy, Holy. Lord, we pray as we enter your presence this morning that we would do so with right thinking, with right loving in our hearts, with right worship. We pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us, your people, the church, that we might glorify and magnify and lift up the name of Jesus in a way that is pleasing in your sight. Lord, we proclaim, we confess that you are the living God and there is no other. And we pray, Lord, that you would inhabit our praises today, that all that is said and done here at Lebanon this morning will be for your glory alone, for the majesty of your name and the spread of your kingdom that the gospel of the good news of Jesus would be proclaimed and that we, your people, would respond and hear it by faith, rejoicing in Jesus and everything that he has done for us. And Lord, we join our hearts and our voices together now and pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. 
This morning as we continue to worship, we will be confessing our faith with the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal if you would like to turn there. I'll begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Dear people of God who call upon the Lord by faith and look to the Lord Jesus alone to cleanse you, hear these words of the assurance of God's pardon of your sins. From Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Amen. As we continue to worship now, please take your hymnal and turn to number 38 as we sing together, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise.
morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you all. I have a, a scripture verse I want to share with you and then a question to ask. Scooch in, scooch in. You can make it. You can make it. We have a whole pew we could fill up there. All right, I want to share a verse with you, and then I want to ask you some questions about it, okay? Listen real close. This is from Proverbs chapter 17, verse 16. Why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom, since he has no sense? Why is there in the hand of the fool the purchase price of wisdom, since he has no sense? Do you think that's a kind of a cute saying, the writer of Proverbs. Why is there money in his hand if he has no sense? You get it? I know it's kind of a sassy, you get it, James. I know it's kind of a sleepy morning. No, it's not the C-E-N-T-S, it's not the money sense. It's talking about the, the sense of his soul and of his heart. So, let me ask you, can you go to the store and buy wisdom? You go to the the special food section, can you find it at Food Lion? No. No, you can't. Okay, where do you get wisdom then? Why does he have God? Well, why does he have money in his hands if he can buy it? Why do you suppose? Because the fool thinks everything's for sale. That everything, if I have enough money, I can buy whatever I want. I can buy people's love and affection and happiness. And in our sinfulness, we think... I can even buy God. But you can't, can you? So can anybody tell me then why do we have offering plates? Why do we have an offering every Sunday? Isn't that we're, we're making down payments on the grace that God has given us, James? So that we can help other people who need help. We can help other people who need help. Yes. What else? We can help support missionaries and giving of Bibles. Help support missionaries and the giving of Bibles? Yes. Dan? Changes in the Make changes in the church? Anybody else have your hand up? But did you know that the Bible also commands that we bring, God commands, He commands that we bring our tithes and offerings. So because He says it, we do it. It's an act of worship and obedience. So let me ask you, you said a moment ago that God gives wisdom. And where do we, where do we learn God's wisdom? In the Bible. So I asked my children this this week, and it was somewhat of an effective question. So let me ask you, if I take the Bible, and I go to sleep with it, and I just put it on my head, and I sleep like this, am I going to get wisdom? No. No? Okay. Well, what if I just maybe sit really still and put it over my heart? Isn't that where wisdom goes in your heart? No? All right, well, what if I just lay down on my pillow and, and cover my eyes with the Bible? Is it going to seep into my soul? No. No. How do you get wisdom? By obeying the Bible. By obeying the Bible? Other answers? From God. From God? God gives it to you. Wisdom is a gift. Wisdom isn't something that you buy. It doesn't seep into your brain through osmosis. It is something that God puts there. And so if He puts it there, it stays. And because He puts it there, we have to depend on Him. And that's why the Bible says that you should seek after wisdom as the treasure of your soul. You should seek after it and pray that God would give it to you. So I'm going to pray that for you now, that the Lord would give you wisdom from Himself. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for our covenant children this morning. I thank you for their attendance here at church, that they are part of our worship service, that they sit here with us as families, as a covenant people of God. And Lord, I pray that you would build up their hearts and their minds, that they would know what true wisdom is, that you would give them hearts of discernment, even from a young age, to be able to detect the truth from a lie. And Lord, I pray that you would protect their hearts and their souls from walking in lies. Lead them in the truth, Lord, and help us as your people to lead them in it. Help us to teach them all the doctrines of our holy religion, that we would open the Bible and read it to them and distinguish between what is right and what is wrong because your word says it. And Lord, I pray that you would lead them to walk in your ways, that they would serve you in their generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our uh, scripture reading, responsive reading, we're going to uh, do Psalm 2 together. It's on page 785 in your hymnal. If you would turn there to page 785, we're going to recite together Psalm 2. And I'll begin uh, with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire? And the peoples plot in vain. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion. My holy hill. I will Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Amen. Let's stand together again and turn to hymn number 110 and sing together, Hallelujah, praise Jehovah.
for Sam and Lizzie Goodwin, and I had the opportunity this week to text back and forth with Sam, and he had two specific requests that he asked that we pray for uh, this month and particularly this morning. He said that uh, he would really like to request prayer for missionaries who are struggling, who are depressed, who are uh, really having a difficult time in the work of ministry that the Lord has given them. Uh, They interact a great deal in their member care work with those who are struggling and who are are working hard every day to serve the Lord, but also are finding it difficult in their own personal lives and in their own soul. He also asked that uh, we would pray for their support. This year their support is down a significant amount, and so they are looking to the Lord in faith that he will provide and ask that we pray for additional prayer partners. We are supporting them uh, financially as a church and praying for them, and uh, we want to pray for them now for these things. Let's pray. Father, help us to know as we come to you in prayer that we come not trying to join our hearts together to be unified in positive thinking or good thoughts. We come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, because of his precious blood. You call us into your presence that we might pray and lift up our hearts to you, that we might bring our petitions and our requests to your throne. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that prayer is, the honor that it is to to be in your presence with one another, to lift up our hearts and to be comforted by you. Lord, we do lift up our brother and sister, Sam and Lizzie. We pray, Lord, that you would give them both great wisdom as they seek to minister to missionaries around the world, to team leaders and those who are boots on the ground in places where many of us know where it is on the map but have never been. And they have gone to share the gospel, to be a light, to be a witness. Lord, we pray that you would help them, Sam and Lizzie, that they would know when to press into areas of unbelief or fear that it seems some missionaries are demonstrating. 
We pray for depression. We pray for uneasiness with life. We pray for homesickness. We pray for their own financial needs, Lord. We lift up Sam and Lizzie that you would meet their needs. We know and have seen over even the last few years your faithfulness to this family. We pray that you would help them to continue to look to you and to walk in faith as they try to raise support to meet their own needs for the rest of this calendar year. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless them with our contributions to their ministry. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to commit as individuals and families and as a church family to pray for them, to pray for their souls, to pray for their children, to pray for their marriage and their financial needs. Lord, we thank you as the God of heaven that you hear us. And Lord, I also want to pray and lift up prayers for our church family here. There are many in our midst who have particular needs, very serious health conditions that need your helping, loving, providential hand in their lives. Not only to take care of the medical issues, but Lord, to comfort their hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would do both, that you would grant healing and wholeness, that you would touch your people to know that you are with them, that as your word promises, as you have promised from the Old Testament into the New Testament, and even today, your word still stands. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lord, I pray that that promise would be real to your people. I pray that we would cling to it and hold on to it, that you, Lord Jesus, would be the anchor that we hold to while the storm rages. We thank you for the trials that you bring into our lives, though we may pray through them with tears, though we may grieve through them and sometimes have doubts. We praise you and we thank you for being our loving Heavenly Father who cares for us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.
want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews, chapter 12, we're going to be reading uh, verses 28 and 29. Hebrews, chapter 12. Beginning in verse 28, this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve the Lord acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today's sermon is entitled, The Lord's Worship. And I hope in this time that we have together this morning to be able to answer these questions. What did we just do when you get in the car this afternoon to go home? What did we just do? What is it to stand before the Lord and worship Him? Why do we gather Sunday after Sunday? What's the purpose? Maybe think about it this way. Have you ever shared a problem with someone, a friend? Or an acquaintance. You talk to them. You tell them about the significance of it. The weightiness of it to you and to your family. You're sharing some of the challenges. And then while you're talking. The other person hijacks the conversation. Makes it entirely about them. And somehow you're left wondering. Scratching your head. Wasn't I just sharing something with them? In the world this is called. Autobiographical listening. You're listening. But only trying to find a place. To to latch on to. To. To somehow say, well, this is my story, or this is how it happened to me, and this is how mine is worse than yours. And actually, if you just listen, you'd hear maybe how wonderful I am. Autobiographical listening. On a much larger scale, with far more significant, I believe, eternal consequences, we have the same capacity to do this, each one of us, every Sunday morning. We're hardwired to think about me. Our likes, our dislikes, as you come to church or as you leave on a Sunday morning, are you leaving wondering, was I really moved during that sermon? It started too early today, or the sermons are just too long, or the service is too long, it cuts into my weekend. I don't really care for the style of dress that everybody expects there. I don't like the style of the speaker, the way that he talks. I don't care for the style of music. Or do you sit in the car and wonder as you start it to go home, to go about your Sunday, do I really feel fulfilled? Was that really why I got up early? Was that really why I pressed my clothes, why I I made sure to get out the door on time? We're hardwired to think that way about us. But the Bible says that Sunday is the Lord's day. God's people gather to meet with Him To be in His presence and to offer up worship to Him. Did you notice in the scripture reading this morning, we only read two verses. Did you notice that word acceptable in verse 28? It says that let us have grace that we may offer up acceptable worship to Him. To whom? Acceptable to whom? To Him. And I wonder... Should this change anything for us as we think about coming to worship on Sunday? As we step into those doors and come and find a seat, 
Should it change anything about the way that you think? The things that we read, the songs that we sing, the scripture passages that we listen to. As you hear those words offering up acceptable worship to God, let me ask you, can you do it on your own? Absolutely not. Worship is a a combination of two words. Worth-ship. And as we gather as God's people to worship God, we gather to declare His greatness, His exceeding value, His infinite worth, to relish in being in His presence with awe and wonder. Before whom do you stand today, dear people of God? You stand before the living God, the only Redeemer of His people, the Savior of sinners. Psalm 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. May that be true for us as God's people today that as we worship Him, we come not to be entertained. We come not because we enjoy the music or the tradition or the style. We come to be in God's presence. To worship Him. So I want to ask three questions of you this morning. I believe answer them from this text. What makes worship acceptable, number one? I think that's a significant question. We need to answer that. You need to know that in your soul. Am I coming to Lebanon to worship God? Or am I coming because this is where my family has always come? Or it's convenient, it's right on 34. I just happened upon it in the providence of God. Number two, of whom is worship required? And number three, how should we, as God's people, the redeemed, prepare for worship? So number one, what makes worship acceptable? And I have to start with a caveat that not all worship is acceptable to God. There are conditions. There are requirements. Think of Cain in the book of Genesis chapter 4. It says that he and his brother came and brought offerings. And Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was not. It says God did not respect his offering. He did not receive it. So just because you come to church, just because you fill a pew, doesn't mean your worship is acceptable to God. Just being here doesn't check a box in the worship category for believers. That's significant and weighty. We should think about that. Another example of unacceptable worship to God. In the book of Leviticus chapter 10, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, it says that they presumptuously took incense and offered strange fire to the Lord in the King James. Strange fire means unauthorized, unapproved, not asked for by the living God. And what does it say happened to them? They were consumed. As we read in verse 29, our God is a consuming fire. We cannot simply come to Him however we feel or or what makes us feel right or this feels like worship or I like it or God will accept this because I did my best or what ruling elder Jason Pope talked about in Sunday school because I'm sincere, God will accept it. Some worship is not acceptable to God. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Romans chapter 1, verse 25, talking about 
the unrighteous and the wicked. It says that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Some worship is unacceptable to God. You can't call it worship. It's true. We may not like it. It may not give us a fuzzy, warm, peaceful, easy feeling, but it's true. Church is not about us, in fact. Being here this morning is not so you go away feeling like that really fed my soul. That's a byproduct of worship. But we come to worship the living God, to stand before Him. So what makes worship acceptable? I want to give you two things. The first is the grace which God supplies in verse 28. And the second, that it is according to God's word. Verse 28 says that let us have grace. That's the the standard translation. Some translations that you read might say let us be grateful or being grateful or let us be gracious. But the, the literal translation, I believe, is very helpful. It says let us have grace. May God pour out his grace on us that we might worship him in an acceptable way. It doesn't mean that if you have gratitude in your heart, if I'm thankful, then God will accept everything that I do. It means that you are in a position of humility before Almighty God. Accept the offering that I bring in humility. It's a prayer. It's not an expectation or an assumption that He will. And you might say, well, wait a minute, preacher. You're saying we need grace to worship. Well, let me ask you a question. If you would say... Do we really need grace to worship? Let me ask you. Do you need grace to obey God? Do you? Do you really need it to obey the Ten Commandments? Or do you have those down? If you need the grace of God to obey Him, then it is absolutely true that we rely on grace through faith in order to do anything that is pleasing in His sight. But praise the Lord, the God of heaven, That whatever He requires of us, He also supplies for us. That's true. He does it in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 4, Jesus met the woman at the well. And you remember they have this conversation. He asked for water. And they go about their conversation and He asks some, some questions. And after He says, go and get your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And He says, you've rightly said. You've had several, and the man you're with now is not your husband. And she immediately goes like an off-ramp, totally different direction, like a squirrel that saw something, and she's gone. I perceive you're a prophet, because he knows about her lifestyle. Everybody in town knew about her lifestyle. It didn't take a prophet to know of her issues. She goes straight to the worship wars. Well, you say, you Jews say that we're going to worship God on this mountain, but we believe that, we Samaritans believe we worship God on this mountain. And Jesus, the Son of God, standing in front of her says, there is coming a time when you will worship neither on this mountain or any other. But true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. You cannot contain God. There is no mountain that represents Him. There is no place where His presence is kept from. No one can hold Him back. You must worship God in spirit and in truth. The fact that we need grace in order to worship this morning, that you would be attentive as you hear the word of God read, you need grace. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, 
Peter said unashamedly, we are being built. Not that we're building. We are being built into a spiritual house to offer up acceptable spiritual sacrifices to God. You are being built. You are not doing the building. And who's doing the building? The Lord Jesus Christ. And he's pleased to do it by his grace. The grace which God supplies quickens us to offer acceptable worship in his sight. And apart from that, it will not happen. Is that not why in our liturgy, in our opening prayer every Sunday morning, don't we pray a prayer of invocation? And it's important that we pray that prayer. Lord, pour out your spirit upon us. Otherwise, we are standing here today and sitting here. Pour out your spirit upon us so that we would worship you in a way that is acceptable in your sight. That you would receive the glory and honor and praise that is due your name. And we know that our offering is meager. But we pray that you would inhabit the praises of your people. And as a byproduct, fill our hearts with faith and joy. But it's not for your entertainment that you came here today. So I said I would give you two. What makes worship acceptable? The first, the grace which God supplies. And number two, that it is according to God's word. And I want to go on a little trip this morning, briefly, to watch as Israel drew near to God for the very first time. You remember when Moses met God at the burning bush, God said, this will be a sign to you that when you go and deliver my people, you will come back to this mountain with them and serve the Lord. Exodus chapter 3 verse 12. It was a promise. You will come and worship. It is at my bidding that you will come with my people. I will deliver them. So if you have your Bible with you, turn. Exodus chapter 19. We're going to look at a few verses this morning as we watch Israel draw near to God, to the living God for the first time. Remember, they've been in Egypt, in bondage, in slavery. 400 years. Exodus chapter 19. This is after they crossed the Jordan. Excuse me, they crossed the Red Sea. They saw the Egyptian armies perish. They've gone through some difficulty. Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, towards the end. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel... You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. He says, see, look, nation of Israel. See how I swooped into your life and I redeemed you. I saved you. I took care of you to bring you to myself. And then after Moses goes and says these words to the elders of the people, the elders respond and say, all that you say we will do. We will worship in your presence. We will keep your covenant. We will obey you as your prized possession, your chosen people of all the earth. We will do it. So they respond to God's call. 
They went through the mighty plagues. They saw what took place in Egypt. The sea split in two. They went through battles. They survived a few tests. And they finally arrived at the mountain here to worship the living God. And they respond to his call to worship. God calls them to worship, number one. Exodus chapter 19, verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today. Set them apart. Sanctify them. And tomorrow, today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. God is calling them to worship. He gave them instructions. He said, Consecrate yourselves. Moses was to go and sanctify the people, ensure that they were ready. They were going to meet with the living God. Wash your clothes. Comb your hair. Think about who you are about to meet with. And they even set boundary lines. You can imagine some of those parking lot markers with the yellow tape. Do not go any closer than this. Well, why? Because God said so. But we've never heard his voice. We've never seen him. Because God said so. And next in this story, God descends on the mountain. Look at verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day, just as God said, by the way, in the morning that there was thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. In its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Do you have a sense of this? There was cloud and fire and a loud trumpet and there was nobody playing one. The mountain was quaking. The mountain shook. And God didn't have to descend or speak, but it responded. It knew who was there. Moses spoke and God answered. As the people wait before God, they see all that's taking place. They hear it. They feel it. There was a rumble in their chest from the quaking of that mountain. God thunders out the Ten Commandments. He gives them to Moses and the people trembled with fear. You still have your Bible, Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 20. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. They learned maybe it's not even possible for human beings to totally prepare to be in the presence of the living God. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that you may fear before him so that you may not sin. He's not doing this for a show. It's not for your entertainment. Show us something else, God. You did the lightning and the thunder and the earthquake last time. What else can you do this time? Entertain me. 
It's about me, after all. May it never be. I want to pause for just a moment and ask some questions. How different an experience they had from what you and I may move through on any given Sunday morning. Are you like me? That you too seldom consider the grand thing that we profess to be doing here. Every Sunday. Every Sunday we say that we are here standing in the presence of the living God. Our Redeemer. The one who calls us to himself. He calls you. You don't call him. The call to worship is not a call for God to come. The call to worship is his command to his people. You will worship before me. Do you too seldom consider that that's what Sunday morning is? And isn't awe and wonder and reverence and seriousness still befitting the worship of the living God? Did Jesus come to change worship? To make it easy and comfortable and safe to be near God? Just some questions to consider. Is your heart like mine? Is it sleepy this morning? Are you distracted? Are there things you'd much rather be doing? A better use of your time. Number two. Of whom is the worship of the living God required? Let me give you two answers. Number one, all creation. The Bible makes it clear, says Dr. R.C. Sproul in his book, The Character of God. The Bible makes it clear that God commands everyone everywhere to worship Him. It is the duty of every creature to worship God. Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. They are shouting it. You see a sunrise or a blue sky or a beautiful sunset. The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 66, verse 4, all the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. Psalm 150, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Psalm 96, verse 9, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. In Luke chapter 19, verse 40, as Jesus drew near to the Mount of Olives and the Pharisees rebuked him because the people were crying out, Hosanna. And Jesus said, if these people who were crying out were to keep silent, the very stones around them would cry out to the living God. They know their creator. It's us who has the problem. So all creation is absolutely required. It's a commandment. But there is especially, as we think about this passage in Hebrews, there is especially a requirement for God's people. The redeemed, the sons and daughters of the living God. The author of Hebrews brings the people of the new covenant in chapter 12 back to the mountain. He takes them back to Mount Sinai and he says, I need to show you something about drawing near to God. So if you have your Bible, go back to Hebrews chapter 12. He says in verse 18, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should be spoken to them no more. 
Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus. The mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We now draw near to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, where countless angels and redeemed saints saints gather with merry reverence before the presence of the living God and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, whose blood secures our place with him in heaven. And notice that the stakes rise in the new covenant. They don't fall. Look at verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, the Lord Jesus. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks in heaven. The stakes are higher, the risks are greater for us in the new covenant. To not offer acceptable worship to God is worse for us than it is for them. Our refusal will meet more severe judgment and punishment. Worship is not more laxed and casual. We can't saunter into the presence of the living God. We, like Israel, draw near to a God, verse 29, who is a consuming fire. He has not changed. One whose flame devours all the froth and presumption of man. He is good, but he is not safe. Like Israel, we draw near to a great God solely on His terms and within His boundaries alone. In spirit and in truth, covered in the precious blood of Jesus. Our worship then, every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, should be full of thanksgiving and happiness with holy fear and wonder and awe in the presence of the living God and the Lamb. So lastly, briefly, How should you prepare for worship on Sunday? Four things, quickly. Prepare yourself and your family. And dads, I'm looking at you. Prepare yourself and your family. Repent of any known sin in your life. Be ready to participate. Don't come in and occupy the pew. Come in and worship the living God. Not just show up. Number two. Come with an eager expectation. That God the Holy Spirit is at work. On any given Sunday. Saving the lost. Drawing souls to himself. Saving them from fire. And hell forever. He does it day in and day out. And come with an eager expectation that God the Holy Spirit is sanctifying His people even in worship through the ministry of the Word of God. Number three, come to hear God speak and be prepared to properly respond by His grace. You are called to worship on Sunday morning. Not by me, not by the elders, not by the Presbyterian Church in America. You are called to worship by the living God. There are scripture readings and singing and a sermon. 
We should be delighting to sing the praises of God. We should be delighting to sing every verse of the hymns. Number four, come with a proper posture. And I'm not talking about back pain. But I do mean come with a proper posture of your body and of your soul, of humility before the Lord. Be prepared to stand and to sit, to stand up again, to bow your head as we pray. With outstretched hands, maybe some Sunday, receive the benediction of our Lord. It's not my benediction. It's His. He bids you come to Him and receive all of the blessings that He has to give you. I want to end with two quotes from two hymns. One from Isaac Watson, one from Charles Wesley. Today we've been talking about the worship of the living God. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And then from Charles Wesley. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King. The triumph of His grace. He speaks and listening to His voice. New life the dead receive. The mournful broken hearts rejoice. The humble poor believe. Is that you this morning? Humble poor beggar. It absolutely is. Come to the Lord Jesus. He promises to be everything that you need before the throne of God. He is holy, holy, holy. Let us worship Him together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us. Give us eyes anew. Remove the spiritual cataracts from our hearts that would think that worship is something we can fashion after our own making, that we can fashion you after our own making. A God of our imagination, with worship that we prefer. Lord, have mercy on us. We pray, Lord, that you would use this word not to guilt your people into to living a debtor's life, thinking that we could somehow, by gratitude or service, earn anything from you. Lord, help us to live before you by faith and help us to offer to you worship that is acceptable in your sight by your spirit alone and the grace that you provide. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together, dear church, and respond to God's word singing hymn number 100, Holy, Holy, Holy.
take an offering to the glory of God. not in the bulletin, so I want to tell you that song is, O God Beyond All Praising. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we count it a privilege to even consider to be able to offer up even our meager offerings to you. But we do so in obedience to your command to bring our tithes and our offerings to you. And Lord, we pray as we do so that you would bind our wandering hearts to you. Help us, Lord. We are we are distracted very easily with many things of this world, and we pray that as we obey you in giving tithes and offerings, that you would proclaim to our hearts that you are the treasure of our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would use our offerings and our tithes this morning as our covenant children 
said to us in the children's sermon this morning that lost people would hear about you, that we would support our missionaries, that lost souls would go out of the kingdom of darkness and be brought into the kingdom of light because of your work, because of the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. of our Lord from the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.